0: All right. Hey, good morning, guys. Today we've got the Honorable Colonel Dave Hamilton, uh, the grumpiest of great-grandpa PAs, and we've got Grumpy PA, our co-host. Today we're going to be talking to you guys about uh, the different that the programs that exist that are out there once you've been spending about a year in clinic and you're tired of the grind and brigade combat teams and battalions and sick calls kicking your butt and you're like, what is out there? There's got to be something more than just being a PA. So let's start today uh, out with talking about what different programs exist out there and what can PAs start looking forward to and and getting their prerequisites for to apply to.
1: Yeah, Paul, that's a great, great topic there uh, with regard to what is out there. And so I think that's a great place to start. Um, The thing I'll tell you is that across the SP Corps, that every one of our individual uh, specialties has some advanced training available to them. Uh, So you might hear some of your colleagues talk about some other programs that they run. Uh, there's only certain ones available to the 65 Deltas, to the PAs, as pure. And on an annual basis, that, what those programs are come out in an announcement uh, that announces for the following academic year. And so if you're interested in those kind of things, you want to you want to be on the lookout for that because it tells you what your eligibility criteria are and what how many seats of what program are available. And you've probably talked to some of your colleagues out there that uh, um, have looked at these things. You've probably seen some of them are a little more obscure stuff with like training with industry, out with the AAPA or other programs like that. Some of them include like an executive fellowship with the SP Corps office or uh, down at uh, Fort Sam. Uh, there's a ultrasound fellowship that intermittently has come and gone in the past. There are some programs that we don't offer anymore, like a cardiothoracic PA uh, that might come back, or or but they all fall under this general program of advanced training. And the bulk of our seats, which are the ones you're going to hear about, are today the doctorate of science programs through the Army Baylor program. And so those are the 18 month training cycles that happen in our MTFs and take people through their doctorate of science. Uh, so uh, with that, I just throw it over to you, sir. Colonel Hamilton, Is there anything else out there that we didn't talk
2: about that, that you're aware of that you wanted to highlight or talk about? Yeah. So not only do we have the 18 month uh, DSC programs that are more clinically based, but for folks that are interested in art of, you know, political maneuvering, with uh uh, some of the agencies out there or potentially congress uh there's some things that could get you set up for how a national uh, organization for instance the american academy of uh, pas or the national commission on the certification of pas operate in the in the national environment and how that would link into lobbying for the proper position uh, in with our elected officials that may help to elevate uh, our profession uh, in in some state laws or federal law. So the the AAPA uh, training that flip-flops like every other year with the NCCPA. So you get to see how the AAPA works with federal agencies on on moving the PA profession forward. There's a testing and evaluation LTAGT that gives you an eight X-ray once you complete it and uh, that gets you into some of the AMED test board and evaluation circles to make sure that our equipment is well-suited for field use, well-suited for medics to use uh, in any environment that we might use it. Uh, There's also, like you said, the Executive Fellow uh, program, which puts you in the SP Corps office uh, to work and see how things work within the AMED uh, from the the Corps-specific branch proponency officer, and uh, working with the Corps Chief to see how that political and uh, strategic dance goes uh, in the Army. So there's lots of opportunities for folks that are interested in program management, program development, and some of those strategic throughout the MedCom and the, the, part, the DHA and pathways for PAs. Yeah, I dig that, sir. And some of, the, some of the ones you talked about, like some of the ones I've interacted
1: with in my career, um, I know we've had some folks go through and do like an advanced degree in education and use that to kind of get their way into IPAP and and stay within the uh, education realm. I remember a guy doing a uh, training with industry with San Francisco 49ers. I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, those are kind of onesie twosies, don't pop up all the time. And uh, I know that uh, a guy did a, uh, a doctorate degree in some statistics stuff and went to work in our APPD office, which is kind of looking at, personnel proponency and like what our our positions look like. So some some very specific training to kind of guide you towards a a end state of a career outside the clinical realm. And then what I invariably get from your your class and your younger guys is uh, some questions about some of the uh, obstacles that uh, exist or things that might drive you away from those kind of opportunities. And so I wonder, what do you guys, what, what do you what do you want to hear about in that?
0: I have uh, I've been looking mostly at the emergency medicine program myself, and, and I see that we normally get about 20 seats a year um, and it seems like we never fill those seats from the army standpoint, like it's always empty. Um, and I was encouraged to apply straight out of school. Right. So straight out of IPAP, uh, somebody reached out and said, hey, you should apply to this program. I put my paperwork in and, and HRC kind of just to- laughed at me and told me to kick rocks. So I thought it was strange that if we're not filling our seats, why am I being turned away at, at such an, a, you know, if I'm if I'm a willing applicant, how am I why am I being turned away? Um, other things that kind of were out there for me was my adso was gonna take me like for a ten year adso. It was gonna take me for a ride, um, and and that's fine. I, I mean, I'm a guy that you know I'm already over the hump. I plan on completing my twenty, but my adso's were gonna be iPad adso of four and a half years ad ADSO three and a half years. Um, and it was going to take me 19, 20 years of ADSO preventing me from getting uh, the retention bonus and, and being out there for that. Um, I know that there's now some new new stuff in the works, some new stuff that was actually approved. Uh, if you guys could expand upon what has changed as far as those, the, the, the bonus and the ADSO and, and how that's changed recently, um, maybe that'll entice some more people to apply this year.
2: Yeah, so just uh, a little bit on uh, your encouragement to uh, get into the program right out of uh, right out of IPAP. Um, that was something that we were trying to work out uh, last year, uh, and what we what we were working out with HRC is you know does that make sense to take someone right out of IPAP and have them go through their 18 month emergency medicine program without one year uh, on uh, on the line as, as a battalion PA or two years. And so if we had, you know, a couple of candidates that we thought were going to be good coming, you know, quickly out of IPAP and into LTHET, maybe their first tour would be a one-year tour to Korea. And then that would just, you know, that would be a one-year tour that we could uh, then potentially move folks back into uh, the, help that uh, emergency medicine, general surgery, or ortho. And that would have been a, a candidate that had some previous medical experience, uh, had done very, very well in IPAP. So it would be kind of a case-by-case basis for that selection. Uh, but we uh, have looked into that as far as uh, you know allowing some of those applications to go through. Um, that's been an evolution too. So uh, that didn't happen last year. Um, another thing is that uh the obstacles that were in place you know you're looking at your you know consecutive adsos from ipap and then from uh lthet so we've done some great work uh, adrian kramer who just got to hrc uh several months ago uh was fielding some questions about hey you know why uh do our lfet programs have such a long ADSO when compared to some of the other professions. And so she started looking at it. It's like, really, it's because um, our LFET is really graduate professional education and graduate professional education has a much shorter uh, ADSO requirement. Um, So graduate professional education um, may or may not result in a degree, but the training is the primary purpose for the GPE. Not to get the degree. So, because our programs used to be certificate programs and gave the same uh, training without the degree, the degree was put on as an additional um, benefit. Then, our programs could be categorized as GPE, and thus would only incur a minimum of 24-month uh, adso, and so I think one year, one year of adso for every. Uh, year of training, but a minimum of 24 months of ADSO, which is a lot better than three years of, of active duty service obligation. So uh, because of her diligence in working with the HRC lawyers, she was able to bust through that. And then uh, through some work with tenant colonel Justin Coher, uh he came up with some uh, opportunities for looking at um, our, our slots and providing us the justification to make us critical wartime specialties that could then take a look at uh, some bonus changes that would help to uh, add the um, the concurrent bonus payback so that we don't have to do consecutive bonus payback. That's another benefit of GPE categorization of our programs. So that really shortens the, the, the active duty service obligation time uh, for someone that could come right out of IPAP do you know a couple of three years maybe get a waiver for the three year minimum uh, before you go into LFET, and then uh, not have a stacked uh, adso uh, because of the, that concurrent uh, versus consecutive adso payback.
1: And that, so that's huge, sir. You know, as you mentioned that, just to kind of go back to where we were to to what you were talking about there, uh, Paul. So you were talking about. Uh, starting an advanced training, which currently was categorized under LTH, so this long-term health education and training, and that adso was a concurrent adso that you couldn't pay off while you you couldn't pay off another education adso while you were in training. So for you, if you would have entered early, they would have suspended your iPad payback while you were in school. And then added it onto the back end of your ADSO. And now obviously you guys out there, you're a little earlier in your in your profession, uh, in the army side, and that's who we're talking to here. But um this is this is huge for you. If once you finish your initial IPAP ADSO and you start looking at these programs, like all of a sudden the bonuses are opening up, the ADSOs are shorter, there's a lot of a lot of the obstacles that were keeping people from applying previously. Uh, should be they're, they're falling down actively around you. And so if you haven't looked at these programs before um, I would encourage you like get, get in touch with some folks and start looking at them real seriously uh, the, the side about paybacks um, the utilization tours that we kind of hinted at but that, that was a huge obstacle for our stuff and and what good news out there for uh, everybody listening and, and really for everybody that's taking advantage of this or that's out there now that's that's getting fixed, and so Adrian Kramer, uh, as Colonel Hamilton mentioned, this change. You also are able then to sign your bonus while you're in training, before you're in training, anywhere along your adso, and it doesn't become consecutive. That's that's absolutely monstrous. And so, you know, we talked about emergency med providers being inside the the BCTs. There really aren't a lot of tactical authorizations currently uh, in the MTO realm for DSC trained folks, the emergency medicine PA. Inside the BCT and in the Rule Three are, are one of the few, but most most of the ortho utilization authorizations are inside an MTF. There really aren't any surgical utilizations. But um, later in the show, we're going to talk about a few of those things changing because of the stuff that uh, Colonel uh, Justin Kohler is doing to kind of really pin down. Okay, you just did the surgery. Health, uh, sorry, the surgery DSC program or the ortho. What are we going to do with you? Like, do we do we put you into an FRST? Do we put you into a field hospital? There's a lot of places where we ought to be that we probably are not yet, and so those will probably head in that direction. But uh, that's all great news on the on the advanced training realm for the younger.
0: So, sir, just an interesting observation though that I, that I, I picked up here. It seems like you guys aren't able to draw very heavily on those older PA's, the guys that have made it been closer to that IPAP ad so completion. Um, Has anybody mentioned anything like why aren't guys applying once they get closer to that four years? Is it a they're done with their 20 and they're getting out or like what's preventing people from applying later in their careers?
2: Well, so I think that um, one of it is that the bonus uh, uh, prohibition uh, once you, you know, they're trying to wait for that window of finishing their LFET uh, or excuse me, their IPAP um, ADSO and then getting into their, you know, getting the bonus set up first before they went to their LFET ADSO. I think that's possibly, you know, one of the barriers. Uh, it may be the barrier like, hey, look, I just got done doing, you know, four or six years of sick call and going to NTC, you know, every, you know, three to six months because half of the people that were supposed to go, couldn't go for some reason or other. So I'm covering somebody else's battalion, uh, getting on a deployment, then switching into another unit and then like back to back deployments. So I think they're kind of tired of that. Um, so they're, what they're looking at for is, uh, an opportunity to kind of advance their medical skills, uh, and then not get sent right back into that slugfest of, uh, brigade PA uh, when they finish it. Um, that's, kind of what we found in our SP Corps survey, uh, and with just talking to people about what the obstacles were of, of going into LFET. And so I think that by taking a look and, and getting the LFET assigned as GPE, uh, working with our, uh, the AMED special pay branch to get our bonus set right, get us listed as a critical wartime specialty, uh, and FY22, we'll be able to renegotiate our bonuses annually. Uh, so we have changing the bonus structure to the point where um, we can, you know, have some more flexibility with that. We're also working toward uh, making our bonus really target the folks that are finishing their ADSO so from uh, from IPAP so that we keep the folks in that we need to keep in to fill, you know, our vacancies on the line and in um the medcom and tradoc and uh um and medco uh billets so that you know we have that uh that force structure to go ahead and fill those slots so that's what the bonuses are for the bonuses are for you know uh, attracting folks that you need uh to to stay in to fill those slots and that's what uh justin coer has been able to show is that we are you know, losing uh, PAs, you know, toward the end of their ad. So, or they're not, uh, re, you know, not staying in past their ad. So, so we're trying to do things that uh, will incentivize that uh, retention. Um, the, uh, I think the other, one of the other things too, is uh, really trying to like, like grandpa was talking about getting uh, exciting jobs for people to do, you know, that They've seen what it's like going through the slug fest at the brigade. Now, what can they do to change uh, trauma care uh, training, teaching um, positively? And so, getting into some forward resuscitative surgical team positions, uh, potentially more slots on the fort on the field hospital, uh, opening opportunities in the uh, joint trauma uh, system to maybe have someone be the Pre-hospital trauma director. So, you know, every time you go into theater, you've got to assign a trauma trauma program manager and a and a um, trauma medical director. So you got a nurse and a and a surgeon. So why not have a PA be the pre-hospital uh, pre-surgical trauma director? Because that might be the only profession that understands point of injury care all the way through the role three and how to maximize and make that the most efficient. How to build training scenarios and programs so that you have a robust uh, um, point of injury to roll for, uh, you know, trauma training program while you're deployed. So, you know, I think that a lot of PAs would really sink their teeth into that because they've seen the challenges in training their their medics and their trauma teams uh, at the Mystics. How do you make that more effective and be able to do more home station training? Uh, pulling your medics off of the access control point so that they can get in and work with you in like real trauma team training, as opposed to uh, just being told no, that they can only take vital signs, you know, at the Soldier Center at home. So just, you know, really integrating uh, during that pivot to readiness. Those are some of the things that I think that we can have a lot of of, uh, influence on with your emergency medicine and your ortho trained PAs. Uh, to, you know, provide that higher level of education and, you know, experience to really try to drive some of those programs home.
0: Uh, changing focus a little bit, right now everything's routed through the LFET office. Is it, is it still going to be the same application to and, and submitted through LFET? It just falls under GPE as far as the regulations and, and everything else, or is that going to change as well?
2: No, so it's still going to go through LFET. So, LFAT uh, is the overarching program. Uh, GPE is a subsidiary of LFAT. Still go through the LFAT application process.
0: I will say, sir, that was probably one of the most frustrating processes that I've been through, was trying to get my application submitted. It took me about three months of HRC, like fighting with HRC. It was, oh, I, I was losing my, my mind. So maybe that is part of the testing, right? Like that's is, is that a screening process to see who's determined enough to actually get their their packet through the bureaucratic process of HRC in order to apply to this program?
2: Well, not intentionally, but uh, I think you know, just like you're getting your IPAP packet submitted, you know, like I had to submit mine a couple of times just because of some clerical errors. So, um, you know, maybe that is. A test of persistence that, you know, we're positively selecting for. How bad um, do you really want this? <laughs> but uh,
1: <laughs> so You're probably going to want it more as these bonuses and ad shows get fixed into yeah. up. You're probably, it, it'll get easier.
2: So we're having an AR on the LFET application process. You know, funny you should mention it. A lot of things going uphill um, with HRC this year with everyone, you know, so just just this last week there, letting people back into the building. Right. So they're now going to like 60% staffing in the buildings.
0: All right. So, I mean, so what, what are, what assignments do exist out there? Right. So you, you said that there's majority are in the MTFs, but are there anything, you know, I, I think that's a barrier for some people is that they want, don't want to go do this 18 months of specialty training and then kicked, get kicked back to a BCT as the brigade PA right? Like, that's definitely something that, that a lot of guys talk about as, as a reason not to apply. Um, is there any moves towards changing that, or is that, is that going to be the force com utilization piece for us?
2: I, I think that um, it all boils down to authorizations. And so, our authorizations lie with our force you know, for uh, mic two, 65 Delta mic twos, which is your skill identifier for an emergency medicine PA, all lie in the brigade uh combat team uh senior pa position so um and that that is something we're thinking about maybe changing is like where do we really want our our emergency medicine pas to be so how do we construct our force to pivot toward readiness so that our long-term health education programs actually support the the training and utilization that the army needs to provide for uh, far forward uh, critical c- critical care and tactical field care and training our medics to work as uh, as trauma teams uh, in that far forward environment and how do we pivot toward prolonged care and care continuity throughout the echelons of care for all of our our folks that may get held up at one of those echelons of care because of multi domain operations so there is a lot of talk right now uh, and planning going into where our authorization should be we have 20 positions for empas you know in the LTEP program that's what it's funded for Uh, this year we had uh, 17 applicants and we only had 12 seats right the the reason we only had 12 seats is because graduate professional education rotation times uh, and also competitive learning environments where we have lots of other learners, whether it be uh, emergency medicine residents, uh, emergency medicine uh, uh, fellows that are going through other training programs. So there might be two or three level, uh, deep learners at a trauma table, and so that the EMPA may get pushed farther back. Uh, that, there's fewer um, training seats available uh, at, at our, our training sites.
1: And notwithstanding that,
2: uh, Paul, I, 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 we,
1: I know we talked before, like when I actually came into the EML that like, I, I was like, man, put me back in a BCT cause I wanted a piece of that. Um, but some of that's a little different, right? And so we talk about applying earlier versus later, uh, Grumpy Paws obviously got some salt on his uniform and, uh, doesn't mind walking in and, and saying no to a brigade XO or, or sitting down and, And telling a brigade commander, hey, listen, this is what I think and this is what it means. Um, And you you could rest assured if Grandpa ended up back in a BCT that he's not pulling sick call for a kid that wants to go to ranger school. And so um, we we do some stuff to ourselves where it ends up a brigade PA is is, uh, working harder than they need to. Uh, or should be. Uh, really, the intent of the Mike two going back down into BCT was to be the subject matter expert and help mentor those those younger pas and teach them about damage control resuscitation and where they fit within the role one and role two. So you know somebody with some salt has some bigger understanding of the 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 big army might be able to do that a little better, where somebody's a little bit younger still trying to feel themselves out trying to figure out the PA profession it might get a little bit harder. Um, notwithstanding any of that, doesn't matter if we're under strength, under authorizations, which is our current set right now. So we've got BCTs, as we've talked about before, how hard you guys are working out there. In that in that set, uh, that's a really cool doctorate degree you're bringing back. We don't care. going to need you to knock out some sick call and make some RVUs too. Uh, so that, that all of those confounding factors are coming together in that, ultimately um, creating the capacity to increase throughput and then knocking down the obstacles kind of like we talked about you know ideally we'd love to see these obstacles just continue to fall down and then get this advanced training for as many people as possible and just saturate the place where um the everybody every seat that we have is filled and and everybody's competitive and actually turns into a competitive selection basis so those are, those would all be great things uh down the road but a lot of the things colonel hamilton's talking about uh, on the horizon here for you know, improving the authorizations you know, as it stands right now, there's no authorization for a 65 Delta anywhere on an FRSD. There's one PA in a role 3 field hospital, one. And it, its I'll tell you, it's a little wild in my current setting where I'm deployed. The uh, lack of just Army experience across a field hospital from the officer side in the clinical basis. I spend a lot of my time translating for people, just helping them understand the, the set of the theater and why things are happening the way they are and what what a role two is as opposed to an frsd why, why an, an, an area sport medical company is different than a role one and you know that that's not to denigrate like you know if i was a thoracic surgeon i wouldn't give a shit about those things either i'd be like no i'm good at good at thoracic surgery and uh, i would be like yeah good for you uh, now we're here in theater we've got these other these other complicating factors that are going to affect your ability to do surgery you know, you ask me, and I think there, there's room for more PAs in, in these organic structures that are translators that bring that expertise of Army life into those those realms and just make things smoother. Uh, so I, I look forward to that and look forward to that authorization discussion.
2: Yeah, and I think that, you know, so the guys that I asked to take a look at that uh, are working in um, Army Futures Command in uh, in seeded And so, you know, we've got to find the people that can get, bounced loose in the AMED student detachment to uh, to do that for a year. We've got to find the place to do it. So, you know, there could be some divergent places to do it um, that already have military trauma training programs, uh, or there could be some new ones that are developed. And I know that through a lot of the uh, consultants, some um, uh, symposiums and teleconferences, they're looking for new uh, opportunities to uh, train with civilian uh, Trauma centers, uh, like they're doing, they're doing some in Cincinnati. They're doing some in Charlottesville. They're doing um, the, uh, uh, you know, of course we have, you know, Miami and with uh, a, uh, ATTC, but uh, there's there's several places that are being very successful with uh, the civilian trauma center training. Um, the more that we can expand that, uh, the the better we'll have. You know state-of-the-art trauma preparation for deployments uh, some other things that we're doing too are doing home station pre-deployment training uh, using the mystics and cadavers and perfused cadavers and just having you know an erpa that's helping design that training iteration before you go on a deployment with a field hospital is invaluable someone who understands all the roles of care um, and how to uh, put scenarios in place that exercise the things that you're likely to encounter your first, you know, first four months of deployment, uh, until you get your scenario based training system rolling while you're on deployment. Uh, So, you know, those trauma programs uh, are really where we're aiming toward to make sure that we get, you know, highly trained trauma teams ready for that first week of deployment. Uh, so that you're not, you know, you're not uh, expending people's lives, soldiers' lives on that first week of deployment while the team is learning how to work together. You've already trained and rehearsed that at home station training uh, with the Mystic, uh, maybe going to TCMC and then spending some time at the, the MC Trauma Center in some sort of a structured program. There's lots of opportunity to shape those types of training scenarios now, and I think that's a perfect opportunity for all of our specialty PAs and folks that are taking opportunity of these long-term health education programs. And one thing that I do want to say is that we talked about, but uh, because of our demand for uh, line PAs, you know, some of those positions haven't been filled for years and the training with industry, there, there have been a, a broad range of, of training programs that uh, we have sent people to. Epidemiology, Uh, I went through a master's of public health program for occupational medicine. But if if you have an interest and you see that the core needs this skill set, you know, that's the time to talk to the consultant and time to talk to the graduate education manager to see if for the next year, that's an opportunity for you to go into a degree program in that discipline and then a utilization tour at a specific place that can feed that information back into the. You know the body of medical knowledge and the body of professional knowledge that we need in the SP core. So there's you know really the sky's the limit. Um, you know Jeff Oliver used to always say that PAs are the pluripotent stem cells of medicine because you can just like stick them close to somebody who knows uh, who's an expert in their field for three or four months and then they become you know a PA for that discipline. And so really just uh, the sky's the limit there. And you know we have a flexible enough system where we can, you know, within a couple of three years, design a program that makes sense uh, to to drive that training and that utilization tour into the structure of our force. You know, before we break away, Paul, I wanted to just hone in on something
1: Colonel Hamilton and I have had a couple of discussions about that are kind of out there brewing. Uh, one of the things in in LTHET, um early on in LTHET, the these programs were certificate programs. They were 12 months. And if you get on some of these chats with some of the uh, the grumpas out there, the retired grumpas, they'll be like, bah, you don't need this research degree. We should make it a certificate program. And then there's a lot of people pushing for the research to stay. Um, one of the things that we've, we've talked about on a couple of occasions is maybe there's a medium in between that serves both purposes. And uh, when we say that, what we mean is that uh, you retain the DSC the programs and make the faculty stay in the DSC, having had the research, because those are kind of critical things. I, I, I would tell you going in that I wasn't a fan of doing research coming out. I would tell you it really wasn't that bad and it's probably worth it. And the fact you hung a doctorate on me, super, I appreciate it. Um, but the throughput uh, maybe is improved if we go back down into a certificate program in some realms. And uh, I kind of described this, one of the things that's being pondered out there, uh, that Colonel Hamilton's got some, some stakeholders looking at, is reviving some certificate programs, not replacing the doctorate of science programs, but reviving some of the conceptual aspects of it. Like, hey, how would you like to go to a trauma center, a level one trauma center for six months, nine months, 12 months, and just get really good at trauma and then and then head on back. And you're gonna get a certificate program. It's gonna be a certificate, it's not gonna be the DSC. There's not research associated with it and the other requirements of Baylor, but there's some training Program and when we kind of describe that, I think conceptually, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, sir, we're almost talking like one station unit training, phase one, phase two concept, right? So if you are interested in getting in and being the the uh, the the faculty for the doctorate programs with Army Baylor, well, you're going to have to do phase one and phase two, and that's going to be the research, and it's not going to be broken up time wise. Your phase one is going to be sprinkled in with your phase two. You're going to go to a DSC program site and knock out all the requirements to do both, the research, everything you have to do for the doctorate program as well as the clinical. But if we can peel out the clinical aspects of just being good at trauma or just being good at whatever that looks like, critical care specialist or something in that realm, and we call that phase one and we start cranking out some certificate folks, with the idea that someday you can come back. Like you're like in three years, maybe now you don't want to do research and you think being faculty at Army Baylor isn't such a cool thing. But in three years from now, you're like, you know, maybe I should do that. And you can come back and knock out that phase two piece and then open up these other set of utilization or assignment possibilities for you to come back in and, and teach coach and, and bring up the next gen. Um, that's kind of the, one of the things that we're, we're dabbling and looking at across the, across the SP core is, is that a, is that a possibility? Uh, Don't know where that would fall. sir. I don't know if that's a GPE and LFID or or, or, what, I'm not sure. Um, But that, that's kind of something that's
0: being, being poked at. All right, guys, I think that about wraps it up. I hope you found something useful in this podcast and that you're able to use it when you submit your application. And we look forward to seeing your application over the next couple of years. Colonel Hamilton, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, Grumpy, I hope you stay safe. Everybody else, we look forward to catching you next time.